Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The goal of this podcast is to help men find and fulfill their purpose, going to help them be good, strong leaders, good, strong men, good male role models in their communities. I'm going to do that by having conversations, going to invite guests on. I'm going to ask our guests, what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose ought to be? How did you find that purpose? And what do you do every single day? How do you get up, get after it, and go and fulfill that purpose? Today, we've got a podcast that has been brewing for about a month and a half, at least, that I'm really excited about. Uh, I had Jared Neve on uh, a couple weekends ago. I don't, I don't remember how long it's been, but uh, Jared Neve is a knife YouTuber, and he debuted a knife that I was really, really interested in. It's American-made, which God knows that I love. They put T10 hardware all across their knives, and if you don't know, it's just a big-ass screw uh, compared to like T6s, and uh, it's just overbuilt, and I loved it. It looks cool. And I said, I got to meet the guys that are doing this. And so I looked them up and uh, it turns out it's two brothers that are working hard on a, on a company and they've made, uh, they've jumped into some things that maybe they weren't used to and they took some risks. Uh, so right now I've got Ross and Brock Hardesty. How are y'all doing today? Doing fantastic. How are you? Doing well, sir. Ross, how's yeah, it going? Very good. Very good. Glad to be here. Awesome. So we're going to start off with the, the mandatory rapid fire. We must give them the rapid fire. They demand the rapid fire. So um, I think we're going to start with, uh, we'll do this kind of one by one. I'll ask each of you, Ross, uh, other than I'm not going to, you can't use the cop out of my own knife other than your own knife. What is your favorite pocket knife? Oh, my favorite. Uh, my wife got me a knife for uh, kind of an engagement present. Uh, and it was, it was out of Italy a uh, very, very pricey knife. Uh, and to the best of my knowledge, the only uh, production tungsten carbide knife out there. Oh, uh, the a Sandrin, a Sandrin knife. It was one of their first models. Uh, so this would have been back in uh, 2017, I suppose, uh, when she got that for me. And uh, I just think it's a really cool knife from an engineering perspective, from a materials perspective. It's just a, it's just an absolute uh, feat of engineering that they were even able to pull that off. Absolutely beautiful blade, unbelievably sharp. Uh, just, you know, it maybe maybe not the most polished aesthetic, uh, but I just, I love from an engineering perspective, it's just a really cool knife. I love it so much and I want to own one. I have so many knives <laughs> on my list. I have so many. And unfortunately, uh, I'm at the financial point to where anything not made America in America, I just can't like get myself to buy. Like not saying that they're not good stuff, like Riot, all that stuff. So uh, mm -hmm. the Sandrin has been on my list for a while, but it's after I've got all my American made, all my American made <laughs> grails, then I'm going to start uh, outsourcing my knife purchases. But uh, Brock, um, next question or the same question for you, sir. Uh so it's funny. I actually just had this conversation with Ross last night. Um, short short answer is the uh, the Holt Morpheus. Uh, I don't know what that is, but that sounds cool. Holt, Holt Blade Works. Uh, I believe they're in Kansas. Is that correct, Ross? Um, Probably uh, either that or Kansas City, Missouri. I don't remember. <laughs> I think I think they're in Kansas, uh, the state. But anyways. These guys just do amazing machining and you can tell just how much effort and love they put into their products. And I had a chance to meet uh, the, the owners, you know, over the weekend at Blade Show and they couldn't have been nicer people. And 
you know, they had some great feedback on our knife and I, I told them, uh, that Ross and I both, uh, you know, have kind of looked up to them as kind of a gold standard in the industry. And I just think the, the work they're putting out is absolutely incredible. And, uh, Oh, that's really cool. I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Um, that, that does look, that look, that looks nice. I think, I think y'all's knives, I, I, I'd put your knife up against that. Well, um, that is extremely high praise and, you know, but at least we, at least the ones that I've seen on, on the webs. Um, yeah. Y'all's knives looks looks to be in that category. So that's that's cool. That is a cool knife, man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very cool. And so I'm I'm probably going to uh I just told Ross last night, like uh a guy at a guy who just happened to come up to our booth and bought a knife from us and he's like, Oh, I've got he's like, I've got a whole Morpheus that like I'm not crazy about the anno color and like he's like, I'll sell it to you if you want. And I was like yeah, I might, I might buy this. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd put your knives up there. I, I was telling, uh, I was telling Ross that, uh, I'm, I'm very scared. I'm going to, I'm going to get one of your knives and I'm going to have one before, uh, before y'all are forced to up the price on them because so many people are buying them. Um, <laughs> I will have one of your knives before, before you, before you're forced to, to up the price on them y'all's y'all's knife is just it seems awesome for what you're what you're asking and what you've done and you know for people that aren't listening most people aren't really into pocket knives especially people that listen to this some of them are i probably picked up quite you know a few people from from jared uh that was that was a big uh, uh i'm sure that my exposure uh was decent from that but uh most yeah. people don't understand uh kind of intricate little knife things but the fact that y'all put t10 all over the knife just makes me so happy because i've spent so much money twisting off t6 torx picks like you, you have no idea how much money i have in it's at least tens of dollars of twisting off like t6 torx bits like at least 50 dollars of torx bits that i've just ruined on t6s and so just seeing somebody innovate not not even it's and it is innovation but seeing somebody just willing to do it uh is is awesome so yeah and and you know and i'm gonna kind of wax poetic here for a second if i may but uh you know ross you know he's my younger brother and he's always he you know i've always known he was brilliant um and you know when he first showed me this design that he had put together you know to be perfectly honest with you i didn't really know the knife world you know, I had a pocket knife from my grandfather when I was young, but like I wasn't an everyday carry knife guy. Right. Um, but he showed me, you know, his design and I was like, yeah, this looks, this looks pretty impressive. Like, I think it might have some legs, like let's go for it. Um, but yeah, the, the fact uh, that we're hearing this feedback and response and, you know, to your point about the T10 and I'm just like, yeah, like Ross just he, That's awesome. he's doing it correctly and I I just couldn't be prouder. So from one big brother to another, uh how uh I don't I don't know if ambivalence is the word, but how bittersweet is it when your younger brother, your your shithead younger brother is better at something than you. <laughs> like it's so awesome because you're so proud, but then you're like, What like mine, he's a he's a much better athlete than I was. He he got to play all of his all of his uh his uh his seasons and um he's probably honestly a little bit more mechanically inclined than i am as far as fixing things and stuff like that and it's so proud but it's also like you're not allowed to do that like that's not you can't do that like 
I, you know, I, uh, no, it, it's, it's not bittersweet at all to me. It's, it's all just oh, sweet. Well, um, yeah. maybe you know, I need, I, maybe I need to work on some things with myself. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. No, but you know, you want to, you want to see your friends and family succeed and, uh, you know, the obstacles that he's overcome to get, get us to this point and, you know, to make something cool that people seem to appreciate. Like uh, it is one of the shining moments of my life, I would say. No, hmm. I, I actually, I do share that. That sense. Yeah. Ross, you can, you can thank him if he's like, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> sitting here thinking it's like, you know, I know that, I know that Brock's uh you know, smarter and more talented than I am. And so I'm just sitting here thinking, man, how long can I keep fooling everyone with this uh, <laughs> false veneer of awesome. talent? I just got to keep it up as long as I can. So, <laughs> well, y'all, y'all are maybe, uh, maybe it's what we call maturity, but y'all are nicer than, uh, than most, than most pairs of brothers to each other. So that's always good <laughs> to hear, but no, oh, man, I, I go ahead. <laughs> oh, we got, we got all the beat downs out of the way in our teenage years. So yeah, we had, <laughs> we had our, we had our time. But uh, we get along really well now. So. Should, That's bit... should I tell him the Brock Bottom story? <laughs> if you want. <laughs> oh no! What is this? I I, I went through a uh, brief WWF fandom phase, and given that my name is Brock, uh, and the top wrestler in WWF at the time was The Rock, and his finishing move was the Rock Bottom, so I. Uh, kind of took it over myself and called it the Brock bottom. And I would pick up my two younger brothers and just, you know, body slam them into the bed, the couch, wherever, uh, the ground. That is excellent. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, that's, that's wonderful. Um, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Actually, as, as older brothers, I think we're called to, uh, to make sure that our younger brothers will never get the crap beat out of them more than in our own household. So yeah, I, <laughs> or at least that's what, that's I, yeah. what I was told. That's what yeah, I, was told. I, I, I think it's definitely in the older brother contract somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's the older brother Testament. That's what it is. Yeah, um, so, silly <laughs> well, <laughs> um, aside. Awesome guys. Well, so let's get into it. I typically ask this pretty quick and I'm going to go one by one. Uh, let's start with Ross since uh, he hasn't been able to talk much between you and I. Uh, let's start with Ross. Ross, what is your purpose? You know, uh, I think I think the only answer any person can give to that is I'm still figuring it out. Um, you know, it, I'll I'll be 35 this year, and I'm I'm just starting to get a sense of what it might even be. And probably in another 10 years, I'll have a different answer for you. Uh, today, you know what I've what I've kind of been figuring out over the last few years, uh, I would say is, well, several things. So as far as purpose in life, uh, one of my big kind of revelations as I've gotten older is that, uh, life's really hard. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough for all of us. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of suffering in the world. Um, and I think one of the best things you can aspire to do is to, uh, either, ease that suffering for people or better yet bring joy to people, whether it's, whether it's humor, whether it's entertainment, whether it's a, a product that they really enjoy, whether it's a, a stable income, a solid job, uh, something, 
any and all of those things, uh, you know, I've, I've started realizing that I think, I think my purpose, uh, at least right now, you know, I'm managing a, a shop full of hardworking American guys, uh, that, that count on the company that I'm managing day to day for their income, for their livelihoods, for their, their families. And, and that gives me a great sense of purpose, uh, to, to keep that going, to make sure that, you know, tomorrow and next week and next month of all the crap going on in their lives, they don't have to worry about, will I have a job? Uh, that I would say that's, that's meaningful to me, but then, you know, secondary to that, you know, when it comes to, to friends, family, um, and, and really just, you know, strangers I encounter the people listening to this podcast, it's like, I want to bring a sense of, like I say, maybe, maybe a laugh, maybe just a little bit of, uh, knowledge, maybe something that makes their day a little brighter. Uh, I think that's, it's, it's something to, uh, to aspire to. And it's something you can do every day. You can, you can just try to be, you can just be happy and positive and upbeat and funny, and you can make somebody's day better. You can make their life a little bit less miserable or, or maybe even, maybe even good. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And so, yeah. uh, today that's what I would say my purpose is, is to try to help, uh, create the world that I want to live in, which is, which is one full of, uh, excitement and laughter and, uh, security and, you know, as, as little worry and stress as possible and just try to make it through. Cause like I say, life's tough and we got to help each other out. So, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I'll comment on that a little bit. Yeah, man, I, I, I agree with you. And, and one thing that I want to explore, I'm going to go ahead and take notes. If I'm looking down and doing things, I'm not ignoring you. Like I'm not texting or anything. I'm taking notes. So <laughs> I just want, cause you can't see my hands. So I don't want you to think I'm being inattentive, but um, I, I'm playing Candy Crush. I'm just going to be honest with you. When I oh well, in, you so. know that that's that's fair. So uh, well, you you know you are uh, according to Brock like the, the smartest dude. I bet multitasking is probably you're you're probably going to beat Candy Crush while you're while you're giving us all this wisdom. So if you ask uh, my wife, it's my worst uh, attribute is multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, I could I could have told you that she would not be a fan of that. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Don't play Candy Crush while you're uh, while you're trying to talk to your wife. It doesn't work out well. Absolutely. Um, so I'm going to write down joy through jobs and products. And that's what I want to talk about too, is, um, you know, the, the multi, the multifaceted way that we can exercise our, our fulfill our purpose. Um, you know, and I did want to talk about, you said that, uh, still trying to figure it out. And that's another interesting topic as well that I think we'll get into, but, uh, before we, uh, dive deep into the weeds or, uh, you could say instead of deep into the weeds, you could say deep into the lake, like Brock's phone that he threw into the lake. I heard about that the other day. <laughs> yeah, I had to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I just he called me and said he threw your lake into a, or your phone into a lake, and I was like, wow, that's that's not very that's not very nice. I don't know why he would do that, but um, anyway, Brock, what is your purpose, small, man? Small, small kayaking incident. Oh uh, no, that's not good. <laughs> um, you know I. Wow. Talk about a tough act to follow. I don't know how to uh, speak it as eloquently as Ross just did, but I stole uh, his answer. Yeah. Stole his answer. <laughs> stole my answer. Um, but no, I mean, I would, I would echo a lot of the same sentiments uh, that Ross said, um, you know, with each passing years as I've uh, gotten older, um, you know, I've, I've just noticed that 
it's it's not about um you're you're ne you're never in a place where you need to toot your own horn or you know try to outshine anyone else you just you just want to show up and do a good job um no matter how big or small the task is uh i think that's that's what really makes uh a man and gives him a sense of purpose is to give the most possible devotion one can to um you know any act and and put love and care and devotion into it um and i think and i've noticed sorry go ahead no i, I was going to i was going to see if i could if i could help a little bit uh do you think that 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 devotion and um you're you're bordering on what i would even call excellence you know personal excellence in in the things that you do um do you think that that, that needs to serve uh, somebody else, like, does it, do you need to serve something greater than yourself? Is that kind of where you were trying to go with that? Well, absolutely. And that's, that's a component of it is, is serving others. Um, and services, you know, one of the greatest acts I think, uh, a person can provide. Um, but then, you know, even, even if we're just being selfish and, and only thinking about ourselves, I think even within that, uh, providing uh, a high level of commitment and service is still very justifying just internally. So to me, that's, that's kind of where my purpose sort of rides. Right. Um, I won't, yeah. So let me clarify a little bit just so that, um, I know where we're tracking, uh, you kind of echo the sentiments of, um, of providing joy, but also, uh, being diligent and being devoted to, to something and, and showing up with your best effort and, you know, ideally, uh, in service of, of, you know, the whole or something greater than yourself. Is that to kind of sum up what you said? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. You know, I, I like that a lot. And, um, I want to jump back to Ross's purpose about, you know, giving joy and being able to provide joy. Uh, you know, life is hard. Um, he said that, uh, and he, it sounded like he meant it, that, that life is hard. And I think all of us would agree with that. And everybody listening would agree that, um, life can be hard and a lot of things in life can be difficult. Um, and you know, men, a lot of times I think we're, I think that we think that as men, we're called to provide security. We're called to provide resources. Um, we're called to provide, uh, but a lot of times joy is missed out on that. Um, you know, a lot of times we may not feel like we're called to provide the joy. And so particularly Ross, what, what, uh, what made you decide to, to kind of take that on yourself to not only provide, you, you said like jobs or, you know, um, provide resources for your family and your community, but what, what kind of made that click in you and say, Hey, um, I need to be able to provide joy as well, not just resources. Um, I think some of that just comes with, uh, with age, with experience, with, uh, maturing, uh, you know, I think a lot of us, you know, probably have spent, you know, our teen years and, and maybe even our twenties, uh, kind of, you know, pursuing, uh, 
you know, pleasure and debauchery and all these things. And you, you, you probably eventually, I think most people, as they mature, they kind of start realizing these conclusions on their own, which is that like that has a, a shelf life and, and you can't just, you can't just serve yourself your whole life. It, you're going to end up feeling pretty aimless and pretty pointless. And, and if you're unfortunate enough to be, you know, smart enough and, and self-aware enough, you're, you're going to start feeling kind of like, what's the point of life? You know, why, why am I even here? What, what does, what does me going out and doing what I want to do for myself really achieve in this universe? What, you know, yeah. when I'm, when I'm, you know, hundred years from now, when I'm dead and gone, what can I look back and say that I even accomplished? And I think, I think that's something that probably most people realize at some point in their life. I don't know when I started figuring that out, but I'm, I'm glad I did at least uh, before now. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, it's, you start to learn about a different type of fulfillment when you start to focus more on the people around you and what you can do for them and what you can do with your God-given abilities and talents. Uh, you know, if you can, you know, let's, uh, you know, Brock likes to say that I, that I have certain talents in engineering and let's pretend that's true for a minute. It's like, so then that burdens me with the question of, well, what do I do with that? How do I use that to, to affect change? Uh, how do I, how do I, you know, do I, do I use that to, to gratify myself? Do I do something that makes me happy or can I maybe use those abilities to make the world a better place or, or make something cool that people enjoy? Or, and I think a lot of us find those avenues, whether it's, you know, an artist putting their music or their artwork out into the world for people to enjoy or, you know, a craft brewer making a really good beer that people can relax and sit around a fire, you know, sipping on and, and just enjoying it. It's like when you find, when you discover that, that satisfaction of doing something that makes other people happy, it's unlike anything else. And, and I think that's, it's, it's something that feels aligned with what a person should pursue. Uh, and I think when you're doing that, it just, it kind of just clicks on its own naturally and you just kind of go yeah i think i'm doing the right thing this this feels right it feels meaningful it feels impactful and and it's not just all about me anymore and you know in some ways it's like you're making yourself feel better there's no such thing as true altruism so it's like you know i feel better because i'm helping other people you know it, 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 yeah but but it's not a it's not a zero sum game you can i i believe that you can truly make your life better by making other people's lives better. And there's, there's really no limit to that. Uh, so I think that's, I don't know how far off on a tangent I am at this point from what you originally no, asked, no. but I, you know, I think that's, yeah. that's, that kind of describes the journey of me finding that, that purpose, I suppose. That, no, I, I think what you said makes, makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's it specifically, I've heard uh, a, a new thing, it's not necessarily new. I, I've, I've heard it before, but um, it's good to remember that you can still provide joy through products, you know, as uh, um, I know we're not trying to get political uh, and I, I don't have any, I don't have any clue where y'all are at politically and it doesn't really matter. But when, you know, you're living in a society that a lot of times frames the seller of a product as only motivated by, you know, monetary gain, uh, you forget that people like me truly look at those products and it brings them some form of, of joy to have them. You know what I mean? Like it's easy mm -hmm. to forget that because um, you know, like I think the products are cool, but it's like, 
I also know that y'all are there to make money and I understand that margins and, and the business and all that stuff. Um, it's just a cool reminder when you say that to say, oh yeah, they did actually bring me joy by producing a product that I really, really like so much. And and I think that's a key in, in a lot of people for the reason that they, they innovate and the reason that they, um, that they make things that, that other people do enjoy is because um, of what you said, it, it helps fulfill that purpose of, of bringing joy into the world. It's not just to make money. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I want to move in and, and either of y'all can answer this. Uh, it, it doesn't matter, but let's talk about, uh, you know, the decision to make pocket knives. And I know y'all had sent me a, uh, a little excerpt about, you know, a little article or something like that. Uh, you know, without getting, I, I don't know, I, I think the personal is political. So y'all mentioned not getting political, uh, you know, when we were laughing about it, but um, I'm okay <laughs> with whatever you want to state, just so you know, like, if you want to state politics, it's fine. But, um, you know, the disaster that happened in, in 2020 that, you know, really caused a lot of waves in a lot of industries and a lot of people's lives. I heard yeah. that that was kind of a factor in, in why y'all finally decided to to jump into pocket knives. So don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to talk about how you feel of, of you know, being shut down in the economy and stuff like that. But um, tell me a little bit about what really kicked off that decision and what it was like stepping into an unknown industry and, and taking risk on that. So um, I'll tackle this one. And uh, yeah, it was, it was about two years ago, um, just over two years ago, early June of uh, 2021, um, I had worked in the beer industry, uh, most of my career. I was working at Guinness, uh, when the COVID shutdowns happened, uh, the timing on all that was especially difficult for Guinness. We took major losses, um, for a number of reasons. Uh, obviously Ross was managing, uh, a medical company. Um, and of course, elective surgeries, were being postponed, canceled, pushed off. So demand there was falling. Um, and we were sitting together uh, at my youngest brother, Grant. Uh, he had he had just gotten married and Ross and I were sitting there and talking. And, you know, I was telling him, I was like, well, you know, it looks like the Guinness thing is, you know, maybe not, not going to, not going to be a, uh, thing moving forward and you know he was explaining to me how the medical side was suffering because of you know the downturn in business and then he mentioned to me that he had this knife design he's like he's like i think potentially we could do a direct-to-consumer uh everyday carry blade but he's like i don't have the you know the time and capacity to manage the business side of it would you be interested and i was like Hell yeah. Um, and that's really how it started. And so, you know, through the end of 2021 and into uh, 2022, you know, we started, you know, prototyping, making, you know, his initial design and did some revisions. And I started putting feelers out there, trying to get them into the hands of a few people and, and it just kind of started taking off and that's we awesome. just be more thrilled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. And, you know, uh, 
what is it is it necessity there's a quote about necessity and invention but um i don't know is it necessity is the mother of invention or something i like believe that? that's it necessity yeah. is the mother of innovation or something but uh that also that also rings true with opportunity you know it's it's one thing to say it on on you know uh invention and and new products but it's also opportunity you know uh i i would hate to it, you could think about what ifs all day long but um, if the medical industry would have just kept on growing and you got instead of uh, less orders in 2021, if you got double the amount of orders that you got the the year before, um, we may never see your direct to consumer knife. I don't know what the outlook looked like, but uh, to me, it, it sounded like, you know, necessity or yeah, necessity kind of bred that opportunity. And maybe you didn't need to put out the knife, but y'all were both kind of sitting there like, well, um, we need, we need, we need, yeah. what was that? I said we kind of needed to. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, maybe you didn't to, need to, but you did. We needed, you know? to, do, we needed to do something. And, yeah, and so tell and me this, about – sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and like, and this was just something where, you know, Ross had this concept and I could see the potential in it and, uh, you know, I just – I felt so – so lucky and blessed, you know, to have yeah. brilliant design engineer as a younger brother who was able to, you know, conceive this, this amazing product. And so, you know, I wanted to help however I could. That's yeah. awesome. And I, I ought to give even a little bit, we'll, we'll go even a little bit further back into the past year with some more context that the listeners might find interesting. Uh, so when, uh, when the design actually came out, you know, Brock mentions me having this design and I wanted to kind of expand on that a little bit. Uh, so I've always loved uh, knives and swords and blades. I've always just, I don't know what it is about it. It just kind of, it it cranks my engine, I suppose. And, you know, even in, even in sci-fi and, you know, fantasy and things like that, I've just always been very fascinated by the, the mystique around, you know, bladed, you know, weapons and things like that. It's just, it's just a really it blends art and engineering and metallurgy and just pushes the limits of material science. There's just something about knives I've always liked. Uh, I can remember sitting in uh, my very first CAD class at Purdue. This would have been probably around late 2006, early 2007. And like just barely even learning how to make sketches and extrusions. And the first thing I did, I was like, I'm going to model a, a sword because why not? <laughs> I want to model a sword because, you know, to see it on my screen and being able to manipulate it in 3D, I was just like, man, this, this software is so amazing. You can just build whatever you want. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, you know, another 10 years or so. And I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, his name's Adam and, and he and I are, uh, we used to live close together. He moved away. So we play a lot of online games together. And and he was talking to me one day. He's like, yeah, you know, I love playing games with you all the time, but like, you got to get another hobby. He's like, I build helicopters in my spare time. Cause he's a he makes me look like a, like an idiot. Uh, he's, he's a brilliant engineer, literally built his own helicopter, got his own wow. uh, pilot's license and flies around. I mean, just absolutely, uh, astonishing engineer. And he, he was kind of telling me, he's like, you know, you need to, you need to, uh, get yourself a hobby like I've got. I think you'll, you'll find it really fascinating. He's like, you really need to like apply your engineering skills and, and do something that just, that's just for you, you know, just something that you enjoy, something that you want to do, you know, put your, put your skills to use. And I told him that day, I was like, you know, I've always wanted to design a knife. I think I'm going to do that. 
I was like, I, I love knives. I, I've always kind of liked them. I don't know much about them. I was like, <laughs> but you know, I'm a mechanical engineer. I can, I can figure out how a, a knife should work. And so with basically no experience and no knowledge of what even was out there, I sat at my computer, I, I, I'd bring my laptop home, I've got SolidWorks on it, and I'd, I'd sit there and I'd work on this design. And, and I very intentionally went into it with no previous knowledge of what's in the industry. You know, at that time, I I didn't even own that ProTech that Brock mentioned uh, earlier. I had never held a nice knife. I had never taken a knife apart. I was just like, well, I've designed plenty of mechanical systems. Uh, you know, I know how bearings work. I know how tolerances should be. I know uh, I started my career doing uh, test engineering for an aerospace company. I know all about uh, wear properties and what alloys exist and all the best exotic materials out there. And right, I was like, I'm just going to start from scratch and design it the way that I think as an engineer, a knife should be. And, you know, I picked the materials I wanted. I picked the tolerances. I picked the bearing system I wanted and I threw it all into a design and then it sat in a folder on our server for three more years. And I never even found a minute to think about trying to actually make it. It just, we were just too busy. And so that's when uh, that catches you up to the timeline of Brock and I sitting, uh, you know, June, 2021 uh, at our little brother's wedding and him asking me about this. So got any, got any ideas for something you could keep the shop busy since things are kind of slow. And I was like, this might be the time that I get to build my prototype knife. And uh, awesome. so now you're all caught up. <laughs> no, that's, that's super cool. And that's exactly, you know, what I was looking for is I love to hear that it's sat in a folder for three years because that, that serves my point of that, you know, the necessity um, I, I think, and I, I, let me rephrase that. It maybe, maybe I don't I haven't caught my sense of humor yet. Um, I don't actually love that. It sat for three years. Like, you know, like that's, that's, <laughs> that's it's not literal but um i <laughs> yeah. you know it it's just it's so ironic to think that it did actually sit for three years because you know it i think a lot of times for for guys to really go and and do that and and pursue kind of like what we talked about earlier uh providing people joy uh sometimes it does need to come out of necessity and and that relief of uh you know for me doing the podcast it, it would have only come uh, it, it would never have, have shown up if I never had a little bit of relief in my actual provider role, like what I was talking about. Um, and whether that relief comes in form of uh, bad, you know, uh, of less sales or, you know, but you said you were less busy. And so that's what I mean is that if you never had that free time, you may never have thought of to jump at the opportunity. And I can say the same thing for myself. If I was still working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, like I did uh, you know, doing some engineering in the feedlots, I never even would have thought about trying to make, you know, a podcast. But once I got a little bit of relief in that typical, uh, in that in that typical role that I'm supposed to provide for people on, you know, um, I never would have thought of, hey, I can bring joy with with this time, I can bring joy to somebody else with this time. And I know it's a little bit different, because you were in need of money. <laughs> um, I know, I know, it's a little bit different, because it was the financial situation was bleak. But it's also, um, I, I would, I would bet, that, you know, even if you didn't have that sitting there, or if the, if the thought of bringing joy to somebody wasn't in your mind, you may have thought of another of another thing to do with your with your mills and your machine shop. You know what I'm saying? It, it may have been something what other people would consider more practical or more in line with your medical stuff. Um, tell me a little bit, do you think that um, do you think that having that extra time and just really searching for something uh, was able to 
God, what am I asking? I know I'm rambling. I know I'm not articulating it well, and I apologize. But no, no. I guess what I'm what I'm trying to ask is, it, it's it's a wild thought to jump from medical equipment to to pocket knives. Was it just because you liked it, or was there something else at play that said, I guess I just have to try this? You know, it's that's a great question, and I I do have. Fortunately, I've, I've had a lot of time and had a lot of time even back then to think about uh, exactly the answer to, your, to what you're asking. Um, there's There were a lot of things that just aligned perfectly in, in such a way that I almost couldn't not do it. And, and let me let me explain what I mean. So, you know, I kind of gave you a little bit of history. I, you know, I was I was very passionate about uh, doing this knife design. I kind of did it for fun. And when I first started it, uh, when I first started the design, you know, the the idea had also been kind of put in my ear a couple of times by employees at our shop. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of guys in our shop that are, you know, expert machinists. They also love knives. They carry knives. I One guy told me he's got a collection of probably 200. You know, they were always bringing them in, showing them to each other. And, and just, you know, guys would say to me all the time, like, man, we'd love to make a knife here. Like maybe, maybe you could design something up and we'll make them for, for holiday gifts for all the employees or something like that. And, you know, it was one of those things. It's like, whenever they'd say that to me, I always had the same thought. I was like, man, I'd love to do that, man. I'm never going to have the time to do that. And, and so it was, it was one of those things. So it wasn't just me that wanted to do it. It was kind of all of the employees had always uh, talked about like, what if we made our own knife? Like, and, you know, when, when you've got expert machinists saying, Hey, I want to do this thing. If you're a good manager, you're thinking I ought to let them do that thing. Cause not only are they going to do the best they can, like they normally would, but if you're passionate about something, you might just go that little extra mile that, that you know, that one extra little step, a little bit more care because you truly love what you're doing. And I think that's really important to try to find that in other people and in yourself is find something that you're passionate about that you really want to do. And then do the heck out of it. And That's and so there was, awesome. that was one of the components was like, I knew the guys in the shop were really excited about uh, making a knife. Um, another, you know, another component of it was, um, as I mentioned, I, I can't undersell the the talent of the guys I work with enough, the machinists and the, the manufacturing engineer that I've got working closely with Brock and I, um, you know, these, these guys do some of the best work I've ever seen as far as manufacturing goes. Their attention to detail and tolerances and, you know, just, just the, the meticulousness required, you know, the surface finishing, the, the deburring by hand, the, you know, they're, they all go around wearing those, uh, I don't know what you call them, the visors with the binocular vision on them. And they're, you know, yeah. under those all day, every day. I mean, there's this, this team of guys has such a attention to detail that, I've never seen anything like it. You know, I've been on, I've been in manufacturing or tangentially, uh, you know, around manufacturing my whole career. Not every engineer does. Some engineers work at firms that don't really see the parts. I've always worked at companies that also had a machine shop attached uh, that were, you know, so I, I see it all day, every day. And I've never seen a level of, of care and detail and, and precision anywhere else uh, besides here with, with the medical side. That said, we're in an industry where that doesn't matter all that much to our customers. And, you know, not to sound uh, arrogant uh, uh, by proxy or whatever for our employees, but I kind of always had the sense that it's just like our medical customers aren't paying us for the level of 
care that we're putting into our our parts and our product. It's like, and it's a good thing to do that. But I always kind of had the sense that we need to find a product that like that level of care and detail really matters and really, uh, you know, means something to the, to the customer or the consumer. It's like, you know, a, a doctor just needs his tool to work. It's like, you know, if it's, if it's pristine and scratch free and a perfect surface finish and the most beautiful purple he's ever laid eyes on, he doesn't care. It's just got to get the job done. It's got to get the joint replaced. It's got to get in there, cut the bone, throw it on the table, rinse the blood off. And yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta work. It's gotta be nice. But, but we, I knew that our team of guys has this, this innate ability to, to produce a product. That's just, I mean, you've, you've now seen them. And I think a lot of people have seen them. It's like, I, I've, I've got to, I've got to give these guys credit. Like they make an incredible machined product and they pay attention to tolerances down to the 10,000th of an inch in a way that I've never seen another uh, team be able to do. And so that was a component of it. Um, a third component would be, uh, as Brock kind of mentioned, you know, we, we were getting slow on the, on the medical devices. And I thought, you know, we need to kind of diversify what we're doing. I think doing a consumer product, a consumer facing product is uh, a good idea. It, it diversifies our customer base instead of being beholden to one or two giant corporations that are, you know, buying product from us. We're now, uh, you know, putting something out there that if, if individual people like our product, that has a lot more room to grow. Um, it's, it's somewhat, you know, somewhat opens up our, our, uh, possibilities. So that was a component of it. And then I would say, uh, the fourth component was just, it fit our internal capabilities perfectly. We already had the machinery. We already do passivation, laser marking, laser welding, uh, assembly in-house. You know, I developed the, the titanium anodizing process and really refined that over the last couple of years. That was one of the few pieces that we kind of really had to put a lot of effort into developing ourselves to do, but it's like, beyond that, it's like, I looked at this product, you know, this, this custom folding knife. And it's like, we've got everything we need. We've got all the talent. We've got all the equipment. We got all the people, we got all the machines and we got the time now because of, of COVID Mm -hmm. slowing things down. It just, there was nothing that didn't jive and, and the pieces were just falling together so perfectly that I, I challenged myself to think of something better because, you know, there's, there was always this part of me that kind of felt like, it's like, man, is, is, is a knife, like the world's oldest tool. Is that really the most creative thing I can think to do with our time? And and the answer is yes. It's like, this fits us so well, the customers are going to love it. And as I researched more and more into the the custom knife community and, and really started to, to understand the vibrance of that community and how people aren't just about buying one knife. It's like, it, and and you know seeing that they they love to support each other it's not competition it's almost coexistence where it's like people support each other and you know we saw that at blade show this past weekend where it's like there's just such a a love and an energy and a and a coexistence with the you know the the different knife companies and it's just everything about it was like i want to be a part of that i want to be a part of that community i think we'll be welcomed into it i think our customers will welcome us into it i think other knife companies will be excited and enthusiastic and supportive of what we're doing and just everything about it just it just worked with our vision with the situation we were thrown into you know un you know you know uh, outside of our control it just it just the pieces fit and so we went for it <laughs> That's awesome, man. No, I love to hear that. Uh, Brock, I, I want to 
I don't want to just, you know, he's talking about relationships. And from what I understand, um, you manage a lot of the, a lot of the relationships uh, with, you know, Chapman Lake Knives. Um, tell me yeah. a little bit about, um, tell me a little bit about how do you outwardly face that passion that he's talking about? Obviously a lot of that comes in a, in a good product. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, the product speaks for itself and, and the passion of the people that make it. Um, but as far as building relationships and as far as, uh, on a marketing side, uh, what what are you doing specifically to to connect with that passion uh, and make sure that it's it's outwardly faced and people know what what CLK is about? Um, great question, and and I actually kind of wanted to piggyback on a little bit of what Ross was saying earlier. Um, Go ahead. You know, as as we've as we've dived into this, and you know, as we're trying to make connections and trying to navigate our way through, you know, this new industry because it is new to us. Um, the community and the people have just been incredible. And I'll give you an example. Um, so, you know, this past weekend we were at Blade Show and we're next to a company called Luft Concepts. Uh, you know, a couple of guys that had their own knife design uh, they just happened to have, you know, a booth next to us and we got to know them. Uh, they ended up, you know, buying knives from us and, and, and they were like, uh, so one of the guys was a YouTube reviewer. So he already had, you know, a pretty decent following and like, you know, people are coming over to their booth all the time and they're constantly sending people over to us. And I'm just like, Holy, holy crap you know you, you you don't have to do like you know you yeah. don't have to do that like back to you know kind of the collaborative nature of this industry and you know there have been a number of other uh just people that we've met at the few shows that we've been at that have been so 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 incredibly helpful um you know, in kind of getting us up to speed and, you know, giving us advice. And, you know, we've, we've got a couple guys. We met at a show in uh, Pigeon Forge last November. I, I call them my knife oracles. Um, and they were both at Blade Show as well. And I, I just, I felt like I couldn't even properly express how much thanks I had for these guys because they were just like, yeah, you know, you'll, you'll want to do this with, you know, your website, you want to do this on packaging, you'll want to, you know, talk to this guy, talk to that guy, you know, when it comes to retailers and, and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, wow, yeah. thank you so much. Like, <laughs> you know, no, I, I, you I know, I, I, we could have spent $100,000 on a consulting firm that would not have been half as useful as these guys were just dropping it into our laps. And, and that's been to me, the most amazing part of the process is just like seeing how cool this community is, seeing how uh, helpful and supportive and, you know, everyone's just building each other up. Like it's not, uh, you know, it's not cutthroat whatsoever. And, and that's a nice feeling where it feels like I can help you, you can help me like, and we're all growing this pie. 
that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think that there's something that when I, uh, I think, um, what I'm going to put in there, uh, I think what I'm going to title, I always like to come up with a title while we're talking, but, uh, one thing, a keynote is that when you, when you have all this joy in an industry to where you're, you're still trying to make money, I think the key is when, uh, when a passion meets some form of service, like what y'all are talking about. Uh, I think, you know, what, maybe coagulates that's that's a weird word uh that let's not use that word coagulates weird uh, maybe what what causes the the knife community to, to come together like what you're talking about um is that first and foremost uh before businessmen before marketing agents before engineers uh they're knife guys and they're passionate about it uh and then you know the other thing is that i'm sure there's i'm sure you can meet some rude people in the knife community i'm sure there's at least one or two but I think a lot of them are probably the, the people that you're running into and the people that are nice and the people that are, are really helping out. I think that they are committed to some, some form of service, just like what y'all have talked about. You know, you stated in the beginning that your, 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 your purpose is to, is to help bring joy to the world. And I think it's, it's really awesome. And what you're saying is a testament of when, when a passion meets a, a service uh, and, and you can, um, and you can exercise that you get a lot of good things like what you're like what you're telling me about would y'all agree absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. awesome man well uh so i do want to get a little bit i guess it's kind of night knife nerdy but we could we could uh we could expand it into other areas if you'd like but you said something specifically about art and utility uh that is the one thing that like i think that's why i'm so attracted to knives as well is because it is like the most you said it's like the world's oldest tool uh, it really is. And it's, it's going to be forever. We are always going to need to separate things in that way. Um, <laughs> at, at, at the most basic level, we're always going to need it. But I think what's so cool about pocket knives and stuff like that is the ultimate merging of the art and utility. Um, tell me a little bit about trying to balance that in your knife. Uh, and, you know, cause I'm not, in my experience, I'm not an art dude. Uh, I see some, some movie posters and uh, some stuff behind you, Ross. And so maybe you are kind of an art dude, but, uh, for me, I could design you anything that, uh, I could design you things that worked. Uh, it would, it would work exactly the way you wanted it. I could use different materials, but if you wanted it to look good, I'm like, no, just hide it. Like, I don't, I don't know what, you know, like you want your piece of equipment to look good. I don't know how to do that. Like, it's not me, but in a sure. knife, it's, it's necessary to make it look good. Tell me a little bit from an engineer's perspective of, of balancing that line of, of making it look good. And did you have any struggles with kind of the art side of that? Uh, I'm, I'm probably a lot like you where uh, absolutely balancing the aesthetic with the function is one of the toughest things to do as an engineer, because, you know, first and foremost, we're, you know, engineers are trained in, in, in materials and numbers and function and bearings and all these things. And it's like, none of that's necessarily inherently attractive. That's why cars aren't designed just by engineers. Uh, you know, when you get to the the skin and the body and the panels and the paint and, right. you know, you, you got to kind of pretty up. It's like when you pop that hood, it's like, yeah, it's beautiful to some people, but it's, it's yeah. not exactly sleek, uh, you know? And, and so, yeah, that's absolutely a challenge when you're designing anything is it's got to work. It's got to have, you know, all the right structure. It's got to have all the right, um, you know, bearing system or, or whatever it is, it's got to have the lock features. It's got to have clearance. It's got to, it's got to have certain things, but to pretty all that up and make it not just look like an industrial tool. Uh, absolutely. Um, 
Now, fortunately, I do have a little bit of an artistic background. Uh, I do love art. Uh, I'm not shy about that, uh, clearly. Uh, and, you know, on and off over the years, I've kind of been into different, you know, painting, drawing, charcoal kind of stuff. I, I have a little bit of a knack for that. Uh, and I like to express myself in that way, uh, not least of all because it challenges me. It, it's not necessarily just something that's easy for me. It's not necessarily intuitive. But I do think when I dedicate myself to it, I can accomplish uh, some some pretty good looking artwork. Um, and I like to challenge myself and push my limits. And and so, uh, you know, when I was when I was designing this knife, one of the nice things about uh, aesthetic design is if you draw from nature, you can find a beauty that resonates with a lot of people without even meaning to. So, so what I mean by that is uh, when you look at like, you know, the design of a, of a turbine blade or something on an aircraft engine or, or, or something, it's like, you look at the flow uh, of a, of a titanium, you know, fan blade or turbine blade or something. And it's, and it's got a shape that's actually uh, it's it's not just designed to be pretty or look cool. It is very flowing and swoopy and neat. Or you look at an F1 car or a, you know, any any sports car, and it's like, yeah, they're beautiful. But nature is actually guiding a lot of that aesthetic, where it's the aerodynamics of it, or you know, the shape that it needs to achieve a certain function, and at, at the peak efficiency, a certain shape kind of just emerges uh, the way that that fluids flow or. Uh, in our case with, with the knife, it's like, you know, I designed, I've been working in the the orthopedic instrument industry for years. And, uh, there's, there's some core, uh, philosophies in, in designing orthopedic instruments. One of which is, you know, everything's gotta be smooth, nice, tactile touch, you know, gotta be safe, gotta have, uh, no sharp edges and it's gotta fit the hand. Well, it's gotta be ergonomic. It's gotta be easy to use and intuitive to use. And so when you combine uh, function with uh, ergonomics, uh, a natural shape sorts, uh, starts to sort of um, emerge. And so when you look at our knife, it's got these, these flowing uh, contours on the handle. And those aren't just for looks. I do think they look beautiful because, again, it kind of it plays off of necessity. It plays off of nature, which is that it fits the hand really nicely. We designed it with the... Uh, an ambidextrous contour for left or right hand. There's a place for the thumb. There's a place for the fingers. It, it feels good in a lot of different grips and orientations. The button lock is in a, in a very specific place to, you know, be safe. We're, we're imagining surgeons using this where it's like, you don't want to accidentally hit that button when you're using it. And we, we placed it in such a way that you're not going to accidentally unlock the blade when you're using it. And so, uh, when you kind of try to pull all that together, it almost guides your hand a little bit where it's like, yeah, I want it to be attractive. But when you just kind of let, uh, let ergonomics and function and, and kind of a natural look emerge, you sort of get what looks like art. Um, and so some of it's me, some of it's nature, some of it's luck. (laughs) You know, I, I had a, I had a specific aesthetic that I was targeting and I had, you know, I had drawn some inspiration from many different things, not least of which is, uh, you know, the flowing contours of turbine blades, as I mentioned, um, you know, and, and, you know, high-end sports cars and just some of those, um, let me, let me get specific with, uh, one of the, one of the design, uh, decisions we made on the aesthetic side. The first model we ended up releasing was the CLK one T the Tanto blade. Right. Uh, and 
we released that to mixed reviews, I would say, on the aesthetic. Some people were absolutely crazy about it. They just loved that Tanto. They loved the the straight lines. And then a, a not insignificant number of people on, on you know, YouTube comments and Reddit and anywhere that, that people had seen it would would say the blade doesn't match the handle. And we saw that all the time. And and what was funny about that to me is it's like that that's not lost on me as a designer. It was actually a very intentional right. decision. We we designed the 1D and the 1T uh, in tandem. We actually manufactured the 1T first, but they were both designed at the same time. And my my thinking on the the aesthetic was, you know, some people like uh, kind of cohesion uh, or uh, they they like they like uniformity, so they want the flowing uh, aesthetic to kind of uh, permeate the design, the blade, the handle, everything flowy. To me, I was like, some people are going to like that. Some right. people are going to see that and think 1999 Ford Taurus, just way too rounded and smooth <laughs> and flowy. And it's kind of ugly because there is no contrast. And so then I kind of jumped to the other side of my, you know, uh, aesthetic brain where it's like some people are Lamborghini types where they like straight lines and sharp corners and and angles and polygons. And it still flows in its own way. But there's contrast, there's there's boldness to that. And, and so when we designed the 1T, we very specifically and intentionally, uh, we integrated some of the curvature. So the handle is very flowy, very curvy. Uh, but then you'll notice that we made the decision to do a hollow grind blade to introduce just a very subtle amount of, of flowing curves to that blade. It's not all straight lines. It's not all straight planes. But most of the the edges and the transitions are straight line because we wanted to kind of contrast because some people love contrast. You know, some people want HDR, you know, TVs and monitors and they want vivid, vivid colors and jet black blacks. They want straight lines and curvy flows mixed together and everybody's got their own style. And I kind of, I have an appreciation for a lot of different styles. And so we wanted to offer uh, aesthetics that kind of spoke to different people. And so like I say, there are people that hate the Tanto with the handle and there are people that love it. And there are people that love the curvy CLK 2D that's a little bit more congruous throughout. And there are people that are chomping at the bit for us to release a, a CLK 2T uh, because they love that that aesthetic we went for. And uh, honestly, I don't even know which one I like better at this point. I, I I enjoy them both. I see what everybody's saying. I hear them. And at the end of the day, all we can do is is release what we call art and hope that people like it and appreciate it. And if they don't, uh, that's fine too. Uh, everybody's got their own tastes and that's part of what makes the the knife community so, so interesting and so rich uh, is that there's so many different uh, options and aesthetics and they don't all look the same. And, you know, if everybody's doing it the same way and try to please everybody, it, it'd just be a gray, muddy, you know, bland mess, but there's, there's yeah. vibrance and there's life to it. And there's, there's a wide array of, of, uh, of, of options out there. And, and we just, we try to be uniquely us and, and hope that that resonates with some people. I, I agree with that a lot. And, uh, I, like I said, I've already, you know, expressed praise for, for your knives and the way that they look and, and how they're designed. And that's kind of funny. You said, you know, if we were trying to please everybody, we'd never have anything, you know, the only way I think with a knife to adequately either, to get everybody to be adequately pleased, which would be not pleased at all, is just to like put out a, 
the basic ass utility blade you know that like you know the little the the cheap orange and black ones that you know yeah. barely that, that has a little snap off that's the, the only snap, way that you can please snap off. Yeah, yeah that's the only way that you can please everybody adequately like and it, yeah. equally because we all hate it you know what i'm saying like and they do have a use that's what's that's what's funny is that you know they are really nice in a pinch when you need them but yeah. uh mm-hmm. so man i like that a lot and number one uh, again just to get kind of knife nerdy uh i love the fact that y'all put a hollow ground on your blades like i that is the one way to make me happy is a good hollow i i just i just love how slicey they are um i've got a uh i'm sure you've heard of the spider coast smock um, oh yeah have you have you heard of that yeah i i, I love my hollow on my smock uh and hmm. like i said i love the fact that y'all did it and i think that they both look really well um let's see we're we're at about an hour um i think we'll probably go about another 15 20 minutes is that good with everybody else works for me mm-hmm. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, staying uniquely you, and this, this can be to, to either of y'all, you know, I know Brock with some of your marketing experience, you may, you may have a, a an input on this. You know, I found with me in, in the podcast and stuff like that, you're going to get input, uh, from, you know, a lot of different people, you're going to get a lot of different inputs. Uh, yeah. and you know, one of the biggest struggles of, of producing, something for someone else and especially for more than just one person some of the you know one of the biggest struggles of producing uh something for a large group of people is trying to figure out what criticism is what what criticism do you need to take and you need to implement and what criticism can you leave there on the table uh that's something that i found is that typically uh, learning how learning which one to take uh, is I'm not still great at, but I know that, um, in order to make a good product, it needs to at least make you happy. Uh, yeah. in order to make a good product, it needs to at least make you happy. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, has it been difficult to kind of stay true to that? What are the fruits of that you've seen of saying, Hey, um, I understand you think that the Tanto blade, the Tonto blade, whatever it is, looks goofy yeah. with the handle. We're going to keep doing it. Um, tell me a little bit about that and tell me, tell me your experience with that. You know, and this this is a conversation that Ross and I have often. We just touched on it yesterday, and uh, you know, I I consider it uh, useful and valuable and a blessing to us uh, to have so much customer feedback, which we have received boatloads of. Um, and the nice thing about being you know, as, as small and nimble a company as we are, is I feel like we're able to be very responsive. Um, you know, for example, you know, Jared Neves said uh, that he would like a little more height on uh, the pocket clip here. Yeah. And he said it was, uh, you know, a little tight on like a thicker denim uh, type of pocket. And literally within, I think, two or three days, Ross was like, all right, I redesigned the pocket clip. Put a, yeah. put a steeper ramp, raised the height by ten thousandths of an inch, and, and we're good to go. And that's, you know, to me, that's very gratifying to be able to, because in in any type of engineering, in any type of design, with any type of product, you know, you're never going to think of everything. You try to. You try to put as much effort as you can into it, but you know, you're going to have use case scenarios that didn't occur to you and you're going to have, 
that customer feedback. And so we, we truly appreciate that. We try to internalize it um, and take it all very seriously um, and be as responsive as we can. And so I, back to your original question, you know, how do you kind of sift through uh, the masses of, you know, because I will admit at times it can be a little overwhelming and especially when you're kind of like in the weeds and, you know, you're trying to fulfill orders and it's like, Oh, this person wants this little thing changed or this person wants the flipper tab deleted and you know, this, that, and the other. Um, but ultimately I think we try to synthesize, synthesize all these things, uh, you know, and, and we take, we take every bit of feedback to heart, um, is the best way I can put it. Mm -hmm. I think, I think to expand even on that, I think part of what Brock is touching on and I'll try to articulate, uh, as an engineer, uh, I think the easiest distinction for me is, is it a function? Is it a critic criticism of function or is it a criticism of aesthetic? When it's a criticism of function, I try to put my ego aside and ask myself, are they right? Would it be better if, you know, one of the big things we got from customers early on was, as Brock mentioned, the pocket clip, uh, but there was also, you know, a fair number of people said, you know, I think, I think it needs a stiffer detent in the closed position. We, we want a stronger detent. And I looked at that and I was like, I agree. Uh, you're absolutely right. You know, I picked what I thought made sense. You know, I picked about a pound of force that sounded about right to me. I actually did some like, you know, testing with my finger, you know, I know some guns are five pound, 10 pound. That's like, I don't want people wearing themselves out open, opening my knife. I thought a, a pound sounded about right, but it felt a little light in, in reality. So we upped it to two and a half pounds and all we've gotten is, is very high praise ever since we did that. People saying, oh, this feels so snappy. It feels great. Uh, when there's a functional criticism, it's really, it's really pretty cut and dried for me as an engineer. It's like, I evaluate and I say, yes, that would make the product better or no, it wouldn't. Uh, and fortunately, like our customers are, are very in tune with, with, uh, you know, high end knives and they, they nail this stuff. It's like, they, they tell you right away if there's something that would make it just a little bit better. And we do it as fast as we can. Uh, we're always aiming for the best product we can make the best, you know, the best action, the best function, the safest, most reliable knife we can make. And, and that makes it really easy to sift through the feedback is like when people are giving you criticisms that, you know, they just genuinely want to help you make a better product. We listen very intently. Uh, when it's aesthetic stuff, it's like everybody's got their own tastes, their own flavors. Um, usually that stuff we take less uh, seriously, I guess you could say, because it's like, there are a lot of people that, you know, seem to really like what we're doing and, and we feel that we, uh, by some stroke of luck have developed our own unique look and, and we really, we really like it. We're really pleased with it. And our customers seem to really like it. And we, one of the things we hear often is it's unique and it's different than anything else out there. And we love that because it's like, we didn't want to give people something they could already get. We didn't want to just rip off some knife that, you know, already exists is we did, we did our own thing. And, and I think that's what everybody should kind of aim to do uh, that when you're, when you're creating something new is try to make something that's uniquely your own and, and stand by it and, and be proud of it and the rest will fall in place. That's really good. Uh, I, I like to hear that. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking when, when he was, when Brock was talking about the different feedback that you had gotten as, as kind of coming from that engineering role, I was like, no, that's, 
that I, I went exactly where you went as well. Is it a functional <laughs> thing or is it an art thing? Because if it's an art thing, um, that's like the most subjective thing in the world to be commenting on. But if it's a functional thing, then maybe it is, it is pretty serious, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so I like that you kind of approach it like that of, uh, you know, categorizing those into art and function, which is, we, we've already discussed that the knife, I think the knife is the pinnacle of art and function. Um, I don't think that there's really anything, especially for the money, um, you know, if you look at like the difference between a $20 knife and a $500 knife, um, the $500 knife is going to be extremely more beautiful. Uh, most of the time, not all the time, but it's going to be more beautiful. It's going to have more art in it. It's going to have better materials. Uh, and as far as function goes, typically your $500 knives are going to perform. Maybe not. I don't even know the percent. You're probably better at math than I am the percentage, but um, you know, $500 versus $20. It may not have a $480 you know, better function than the $20 knife, but it's going to at least be worth some form of extra money. You know what I'm saying? It, yeah. To me, the knife seems like the only product where when you really pay, you know, you can pay double on a knife. You're actually, you have a really good chance if you do your research of getting double the function out of it, whether that be in the steels or in the handle or in the, um, you know, the detent, the, the action of it. Uh, I, I don't know. Do y'all, do y'all second that? Because I, I think about why do I love knives so much? They just, they cut things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I, I try well, to justify my purchases. So, you know, absolutely. And, you know, and to, and to your point, you know, I can, I can go in the kitchen and sharpen a butter knife. That's going to cut open my Amazon box just as well as our knife's going to do. Yeah. So in terms of function, like, yeah, when you talk about the, the Delta between a $20 knife and a $500 knife, like, yeah, you can make that argument that it's like, well, why would well, anyone ever pay for a $500 knife? Our argument would be is that, well, okay, your, your butter knife will cut open your Amazon box this time, but tomorrow, next week, a month from now, like what we're trying to make is, you know, something that we consider like, you know, generational heirloom quality, like, right. We're trying and, to get the best possible materials, um, something that's going to last a lifetime. And right. so, you know, we take pride in that, of course. And, uh, and you know, obviously those materials do cost more and, uh, you know, we do charge for it. But um, but I think there's not- value. Well, don't, don't miss the most, well, two of the other most important uh, kind of factors in this equation is, one, we're not just selling a knife, uh, just like a Ferrari is not just a car. Um, you know, there is, there's a certain amount of, uh, joy that people get in, in enjoying artwork. And, and this is, you know, make no mistake, this is artwork. Um, and I think a lot of these high-end knives are, and I think a lot of high-end jewelry or, or anything that you want to spend a lot of money on. It's like, you can buy a $20,000 ring and it doesn't do anything. It just shines. Exactly. Yeah. That was my point. Yeah. But it brings people joy and they like it and they give it to their kids and they, you know, it passes down generation to generation. And, you know, not only that, but we're making it here in America. We're having guys that live and work in our communities are making this product and they're making a living and they're making a good living doing it. And we're paying them as much as we can, you know, we're paying them what they're worth. And again, it all kind of ties into this whole building the world you want to live in. It's like, if you want to see American manufacturing succeed, you've got to not only be willing to spend the extra money to pay guys here to make your product, 
but the consumers have to be willing to spend that extra money to support their own communities or their own state or their own country or whatever it is. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a cycle. It all works. It's an ecosystem that all has to jive together. And we're, a, we're a piece in that, but it's, we believe very strongly in, uh, in that mission of just trying to better our communities by creating good paying jobs, by making well-made American products and, and artwork. Yeah. And we're just so grateful that, that we have found a community that appreciates what we're doing and is willing to support us and support our employees. And, you know, that's, that's what it is. You can't just, you can't just look at it and see a knife that you could buy a similar functioning product. It is so much more than that. And I think that's true for probably a lot of guys uh, doing things that we're doing, not just even in knives, but you know, a lot of industries. So, yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly and yeah that was that was what i was saying man is it's like i can't think of anything where you could pay you know a a 10x markup on something and truly get more of the function out of it you know what i'm saying like again if you go from a 50 dollar knife or an 80 dollar knife like an 80 dollar knife is is excellent like i i know i have multiple excellent 80 dollar knives that are really really good knives and they're end of the earth knives you know but again, when you go, when you step up to like a 400, you know, anywhere from like that 300 to, to the like $500 range of still production knives, it just, you are getting your money's worth. I think as far as materials and the lifelong, like you said, an heirloom product of that knife and the, the engineering that goes into it and American made all of the things that you just talked about. I just, I can't think of anything else to where you can really pay pay that markup for a similar product and actually get your money's worth and not just you're to me, a lot of those things, you're just paying for the artwork. You're not paying for any of the function at all. When you pay like a 10 X markup, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, absolutely. In in this case, it's artwork that is, you know, painted on an aerospace grade titanium alloy that literally has no iron in it will never rust. It's strong. It's durable. It'll last a lifetime. You know, the anno may wear off if you carry it enough, but like, you're getting one of the most premium materials, uh, you know, in the handle, in the blade and everything. So it's, it's artwork, but it's also durable. It's, it's made to be as durable as, as materials can be in this day and age. And so it's, yeah, it's kind of a twofold approach there. So I do want to, uh, nerd out just a little bit and this is, uh, it's funny. So we're, we're far a little bit off the, the path of, of, uh, of purpose, but I made sure that we got that done in the beginning so that I could nerd out on knives and and listeners if you have any problem with it it's my podcast so leave me alone we're going to talk about engineering for at least a little bit uh more than what we have but uh anyway man so uh tell me i want to know a little bit about and brock i'm i'm, I'm sorry if uh if 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 i may this may be a strictly ross question but i want to know about the materials 20 cv specifically uh and then i want to know about your your bearing system because i've got a 20 cv uh in in my deca um, I like the 20 CV a lot. It, it takes an edge really, really well. Uh, it takes an edge easier than I thought it would. And it holds an edge, um, longer than I thought it, than I, than I thought it would. Uh, I keep dropping it on tile, which is awful. It pulls out of my pocket. I think when I pull my keys out of my pocket, it'll come out with it. And I have had to re tip. I've only had this thing for maybe like three months and I've had to put a new tip on it like twice. Uh, and so tell me a little bit about, uh, 20 CV, why you pick 20 CV, what are the advantages, uh, what are the pitfalls compared to something like what, we, what we're seeing now, the MagnaCut. Uh, I, I think everybody's doing MagnaCut um, nowadays, but 
tell me a little bit about the advantages, the disadvantages of the, of the blade material alone. Well, um, I'm going to preface my answer by <clears throat> just being brutally honest with you. Um, I'm not a metallurgist. And if I try to pretend to be one right now, uh, we're going to get a lot of people commenting saying, wow, that guy does not know what he's talking about. Uh, I am a mechanical engineer. I can read a spec sheet as well as anyone. I can understand strength and hardness and, you know, even carbides and, and a lot of these different alloying elements. And I can, I can look at something and say, yeah, that's, that's a really good choice for this application. Uh, if we get into like the subtle differences between uh, 20 CV and Magna cut and which one's better, you're going to, you're never going to find a succinct answer because you're going to have armies of people on both sides saying, this is why this one's better. This one's why that one's better. This, right. this carbide being formed in this material makes it superior to that carbide being formed in that one. And uh, I'm not even going to try to to win that battle here. Uh, I don't think that'd be wise. <laughs> so but what I can tell you, it's it's an amazing steel. Uh, you know, they start with a with a powdered metal, gives it a very uniform, uh, very tough, uh, much tougher than than they could probably get with the same alloying elements uh, if it were you know forged or cast. Um, it, it's great for the application. You can get it honed down to a, a very fine edge and not worry about you know uh impurities like pulling out of the edge when you're sharpening and leaving you know chips or or soft spots or anything like that it's nice and hom you know homogeneous material gets very hard very high chrome content so it's very very stainless so you don't have to oil it you don't have to worry about it rusting anything with iron in it can rust let's be clear about that but it is very very stainless from what i understand uh about as stainless as you can get at that hardness range um you know, you can go higher and higher into stainless alloying elements, but you'll lose hardness and edge retention. Um, like, like to get at 61. Yeah. yeah. Like if you, if you're wanting that 61 HRC, I, I think it's a great steel. It's just like you say, it holds a great edge. We've, we've put it through its paces. Uh, I even did a break test with a knife one time in a, in a press in our shop. You wouldn't believe how far you can bend a 61 HRC blade before it snaps. I mean, really? you can turn it in, you can turn it into a U. I mean, you can take that thing from flat. Uh, you can you can bend it to almost a forty five degree, like one one into the other, and it doesn't break. It's unbelievable how tough this stuff is because of that uniform grain structure, and there's no boundaries to worry about. You don't have, you know, as far as I can tell, it's it's just it does what it's supposed to do. It's as tough as it can be at that hardness. It holds an edge. It's stainless. It's a great blade material. Oh, and yeah. if I say any more than that, I'm going to end up you know, pissing <laughs> off the metallurgists in the audience. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> was the, and, uh, was that blade sharpened that you did? Did it have an edge on it when you, when you tested it? Yeah. Yeah. And I was lucky that none of the pieces hit me. Uh, oh, okay. I did have safety glasses on, but, uh, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't actually expecting it to break. I was more, uh, just testing and, and it exploded into several pieces and awesome. I found some of the pieces. <laughs> cool yeah so yeah. no 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 barefoot in the shop anymore right uh um, never were well i know <laughs> no I know. no open toe <laughs> it, was, shoes. it was a joke <laughs> yeah yeah uh, ross, so, ross, ross knows that the only time i wear shoes is when i'm in the shop yeah that's funny yeah <laughs> yeah when you well, when you work around knives there's a certain inherent uh level of risk that you have to be willing to take uh you cut yourself a lot let's just say that's yeah, very the, funny yeah, the 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 expression, uh, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Whoever coined that never actually tried it. It takes a lot more than that. It, uh, 
I, I, I sounds tell you, awful. I don't know how many it takes, but it's more than a thousand. <laughs> That's crazy. How are you cutting yourself so much? Uh, I'm surrounded by knives all day. Uh, they're on all sides of me. You just, just you find just ways. Happens. Yep. Yeah. It just you happens. You turn around too quickly <laughs> and all of a sudden there they are. Yeah. That's that, awesome. that sharp blade, you know, that sharp blade has to get in that handle somehow. And that involves handling it. And when you're, you know, as clumsy as I am, you drop things, you, you slip, you, this, that, whatever you, you put your arm into it when you're not looking. Cause you got it laying somewhere else on a table. Oh man, yeah. it just happens. You get used I mean, to I, it. I've seen it. I guess y'all probably are just, cause I mean, I handle knives a lot and I cook and I, and I butcher and stuff like that. So I understand what you're saying, but I, I just, I never really thought about how big of an issue that might be when you do I, make them for a living. Like I just yeah. carry them and use them, you know, like on a semi daily basis. Uh, I can yeah. even imagine the the risk that you take by uh by handling them all the time i bet you uh bet you got a few nice ass first aid kits around the shop don't you oh yeah and and don't get me wrong i am being humorous uh for the most part here don't don't report me to osha uh (laughs) that's funny no well you know i'm mostly being humorous here but uh you you do get an occasional uh little slice on the finger It, it happens so i have two more questions uh, number one, did you both say I'm going to do a podcast so I have my knives right here next to me? Because you're both got the you both were like able to grab them and bring them up. Was that I haven't prepare that? I haven't been without a Chapman Lake knife since the first prototype came off the awesome. line. I've carried one with me. If I don't have it on me, like when I fly on an airplane, I feel naked. It, it really awesome. it weirds me out to not feel it in my pocket. I've carried it every day since I could. And I've switched them out a few times, you know, as we develop new models. Uh, but no, I always have at least one on me. <laughs> Brock, uh, how many have you thrown into lakes? Uh, I have not. <laughs> lost, I have not lost any knives to the lake. Thank you very oh, much. Well that, that's uh, good. That's great. <laughs> I, report that. I did lose a phone <laughs> this week to the bottom of old Hickory Lake uh, through a kayaking incident uh over aggressive kayaking but um but no i still have uh every knife i started out with so this was the uh this was the first prototype we ever put together uh this was the the one t that ross put together for me and uh baylor green and gold colors sick (laughs) them also carrying our uh second model the 2d and uh dlc coating uh, that we just got back about a week and a half ago. So awesome. Yeah. Trying to, trying to rep them as hard as, as hard as I can. Uh, I used to always do the, uh, the triple tap when I'd, you know, be leaving the house or whatever. It's like, all right, phone, keys, wallet. Now it's the quadruple tap phone, keys, yep. wallet, knife. Yep. Yeah, yep. no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, same way with me, uh, my knives and then, and then I carry a pistol everywhere that I go. You feel naked without it. Like, and I carry two knives all the time, like, uh, <laughs> just because I'm really bad about leaving them at my desk and then I'll get out into the shop or, uh, I'll have to go like open a package or something like that. And I'm like, well, damn it. I, I play with my knives and it's at my desk. And so, um, I have been known to regularly carry like three knives, uh, just nice. so that I, I don't ever just leave them all at my desk um because I've, I've done it before i've lined them up and like taken a picture of today's carry and then walked away and i'm like son of a bitch i got in the truck with four knives today and i don't have one on me like it, <laughs> it's just so irritating but um i can imagine 
No, guys. So uh, last thing I want to do is I, I, I extremely curious and I've got the engineer on the phone, so I'm not going to let it go without asking. I want to know <laughs> why you've got four bearings in there or is it is it three bearings or four bearings? What's with the dual bearing thing? Why? I'm gonna uh, let... It's yeah, I'll, I'll tackle that. No problem. Um, so the the funny answer is that I didn't know any that I didn't know that nobody else was doing that, uh, because like I told you, when I designed this, I had never taken a knife apart. Uh, so when I designed it, like I said, I, I approached it just purely as a mechanical engineer and I thought, okay, this blade's got to rotate about a pivot needs to be on a radial bearing. It's got to resist side loading and side motion. It's got to have some thrust bearings. Um, you know, now that I know a little bit more about the knife world and knife design, and I've at least seen a couple, I honestly have not taken more than probably two or three knives apart in my entire life. Uh, that weren't my own. And one of them was because somebody was asking us to see if we could manufacture it for them. Uh, I don't go out of my way to see what other people are doing because I don't want it to influence my design philosophy or my design decisions. Uh, it's it's really hard not to even be subconsciously uh, influenced when you see something else. So I went in um, gratefully blind because it was like, I, I can work from a clean slate. I'm not biased by things I've already seen. Uh, and so you know, one of my one of my core philosophies when I designed this uh, from a sense of longevity and just durability is like no metal on metal contact unless you absolutely have to do that. Or sorry, metal on metal uh, sliding motion. Uh, better way to put that. There's tons of contact. Um, and so it's like, OK, if you're pivoting about a diameter, if you're just a, a hole on a post, there is metal on metal sliding wear. Uh, you can introduce, you know, particulate galling whatever um that's what bearings are for uh is to keep everything a rolling contact uh so to me it was just it's how a a system should be designed whether it's a knife doing half a rotation open or whether it's a a car doing you know quarter million miles you don't want metal on metal wear anywhere that you can help it um and if there is going to be you got to have a really good lubrication and really, really clean. And you got to deal with metal debris or Teflon debris or whatever uh, your, your sliding surface is, is made of. So it was just, to me, it was just the right way to do it. It was, it was uh, bearings everywhere. And if they made angular thrust bearings at that size, I would have used those, but they don't. So we went three bearings. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I like it a lot. And so it is a three bearing system. It's got the one in the blade and then the two on the outside. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. That's cool. I think you, I think you should keep doing it unless it's like a, unless it's like a cost thing and there is something just way better to the function of the knife. If it's just because you can, I think you should keep doing it. I like it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's cheaper and easier to just drill a hole in the blade and slap it on a post. We've already got the post. We've already got the hole. We put a bearing in between those two things because to us, it's the right way to do it. That's uh, awesome. And it is more expensive, but I think it's better. So we uh we don't compromise on cost for quality. It's the goal is to make the best product possible and then charge whatever it costs and if people want to buy the best they can buy, they've got that option. That's that's awesome. kind of our philosophy. So. Do you sell uh replacement bearings? Is that an option in the future? Cuz with I uh, mean with three bearings, is it possible to get replacements? We we don't sell them. We warranty them for life. Uh so if if somebody were to say my bearing got gritty or, you know, something, we just send them another, uh, hopefully, 
hopefully that doesn't come back to bite us in 10 years when 10,000 people need new bearings. But you know what, if it does, we'll send them bearings. That's yeah. we stand behind it. You know, it's, and here's the thing about bearings, you know, they're, you know, a good bearing is rated for, you know, it's L10 life is, you know, say 10 million cycles. So I dare anyone to flip this thing 20 million times and wear out those bearings, you know, yeah. if you, if you fill your pockets with sand, you're going to have a bad time. But if you're just, if you're cleaning it, keeping it maintained, keep it oiled, your bearings will last a lifetime. And then some probably your kids' lifetimes and their kids, uh, as long yeah. as it's well oiled and doesn't rust. Yeah. But, but if they, if they wear them out, we warranty them. We just send them another. Sweet. No, I, I just didn't know. I just didn't know if it was like an, <laughs> an option or not. Because when when you're talking about a, it's it's one of those silly things where you just have spare parts sitting there for some, you know, obviously not a good reason. So I just didn't mm-hmm. know if you, if you had spares. Are they? Um, yeah, I think that's the only question I had on it was why you did it, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. And that's very funny that that you weren't influenced anyway. It wasn't like oh, well, you know, the Protect does this or. Uh, you know the sheer grove or whatever they all do this and so we wanted to try to be different it was just no man I, I thought that's the way it needed to be and so that's the way it is and it turns out it is it seems like a, a pretty unique thing at least I I had never seen it uh, you know Jared mentioned that some other companies might do it but I've never seen it um, yeah with that bearing structure so I think that's really I, cool that that you found it yeah I've never seen it but like I said I've I've been in the engineering industry long enough that it's like I didn't come up with the idea of using bearings to <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. for this type of application it's just the way i think it should be done and uh, i have a feeling this won't be the last knife uh going forward that uses this type of system now that it's kind of out there but you know what if we can help bring the level up uh we're happy to do it you know it's it's a uh, given the consumers better and better choice every day that's that's just kind of the name of the game right now so awesome so yeah. I think uh, to try to kind of close this out, we're at about an hour and a half so far uh, to kind of close this out. Tell people, Brock, this will probably be your uh, your domain. Tell people where to buy your knives. Tell them about the if you if you've got a lead time, tell them about the lead time. Uh, tell them how to order a knife. Uh, one thing that I did want to ask is uh, and maybe answer it accordingly. But uh, the, the colors and stuff on the knives, you've got a lot of colors laid out and in your knives and in your demos and stuff. The, the handles and stuff are different colors. Um, tell people about the options uh, that to get their knife to be a certain color and things like that. Uh, give people a rundown of how to go buy a CLK knife. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we take pride in the fact that we are, uh, even though we are machined, there is a lot of handwork. We consider ourselves, you know, custom made to order uh, blades. We make titanium button lock flippers, as you know, entirely u.s manufactured out of our shop in bloomington uh we've got a website at clknives.com and you can go on there and basically just say hey i want uh the handles anodized to this color i want the hardware spacers clip anodized to this color i want you know this laser engraved on the blade we do um all that customization uh, is just baked into the uh, the standard cost. We don't uh, do any upcharges or anything like that. Um, and we just, uh, we want to make something uh, where somebody feels like this is their custom knife, something that they're going to be proud to carry for a lifetime and hopefully even pass down to future generations because um, awesome. that's what we believe in. Sweet. And uh, what are lead times looking? If if I were to order one today, uh, when would I get it? 
we are sitting on about a four to six week lead time currently. Okay. Awesome. Uh, which isn't awful at all for, you know, what you're doing. So uh, that's, that's really cool. So uh, you said CL knives, do y'all have an Instagram? We do uh, at Chapman Lake USA is our Instagram, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Awesome guys. Well, I really appreciate y'all coming on the podcast. I hope that y'all had fun. Um, <laughs> awesome guys. Yeah, no, I, I hope y'all had fun. And uh, do you have any, any last words, any, any last things to say, any questions for me uh, before we wrap it up? We just really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, thank you so much for inviting us on and uh, you know, we couldn't be happier to, you know, hopefully contribute a little bit. Um, and again, just, just many thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for thanks for both of you coming on here and cleaning time out of your out of your uh, out of your Friday. Um, I know you you especially after Blade Show. I know that uh, Ross probably has a lot of work uh, to go get done on on some knives. So uh, sure does. <laughs> yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, to to be on the show and uh, for telling me about your purpose and uh, thanks for thanks for having the. Uh, Thanks for being willing to to talk about things that aren't necessarily um, within your outward facing expertise. You know, that's kind of one thing that I really like to do is is to get people on here that, you know, as you grow, um, hopefully as you grow, you'll be asked to be on more YouTube videos and podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, and they're probably going to be knife centered as they should be. I mean, you make a knife, so you're probably <laughs> going to be on a lot of knife, pro you know, knife podcasts. But thank you for being willing to kind of branch out and talk about some of the deeper aspects uh, that, that are backing what you do. Um, that's one of the things that I love to do is to take, take somebody who, who does a certain thing and, and ask them questions that, that, you know, say, Hey, why do you do that? And how can I relate it to a, a larger, broader, um, purpose? And so thank you for being willing to, to come on and do that. Cause some people, some people don't want to, and I understand that, but y'all were. And so thanks for, thanks for being here. So. Definitely. <laughs> love what you do. do it. Yes, sir. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we'll have to uh, I'll probably uh, I need to get your phone number, Ross, just so I can ask you uh, really nerdy knife engineering questions. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then you, you you don't have to be worried about pissing off metallurgists. You can just tell me how much you hate MagnaCut uh, yeah. in, in the text message. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But uh, to an engineer talking metallurgy is like a normal person talking politics. It's like you just don't do it. You're, you're going you to make people it. angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because you said uh, when I made the joke about everybody going to MagnaCut and MagnaCut being the new thing. You're like, well, I have to be honest with you. And I was like, he's about to tell me that they're going to switch to Magna Cut right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought you were going to yeah. say. But um, yeah. we're, no, we're, we're, we're having some conversations about that, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. <laughs> uh, I figured give people no, choices, you know. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not against it. I was, I was just um, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm a smart ass. Uh, that's that's what they call me. <laughs> we, um, we, so. we dig it. Yeah. We dig it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks everybody for listening to the purpose podcast and uh, coming and hearing Ross and Brock talk about uh, their passion and their purpose and uh, the way that they try to serve up a little bit of joy uh, to others through pocket knives. Um, I know that uh, they at least have done that for me uh, and it's going to be even more so when I get one of them things in my hands, I'm so excited to, <laughs> to, to get mine in um, it, it's going to happen. And so uh, thanks for coming and listening to these guys. Uh, talk a little bit about that. And if you take anything away from this, I, I think that um, you really need to take away that you don't have to fall into the mundane. You don't have to um, do the thing that everybody expects you to do or that everybody tells you to do. Uh, 
to, to fulfill your purpose. And, and a lot of times it, it tends to be the opposite. You know, when, when you're able to provide joy uh, and service to somebody else and do that along with your passion, uh, if you can't tell, these guys seem pretty happy to do it. Uh, they seem pretty fulfilled when they're talking about pocket knives and when they're when they're slinging them knives and and uh, and selling them to anybody and everybody at Blade Show. Uh, they they seem to be pretty happy doing it. So if you take anything from that, uh, if if you didn't understand the knife engineering, if you didn't understand uh, the metals and all that stuff, uh, at the very least, I hope that you took away that uh, you can serve and fulfill uh, your purpose through your passions. And it actually, it's probably the thing that you ought to do. Not only can you, but you probably ought to do it. So. Um, thanks everybody for listening. Tune in on Wednesday to the One Flesh podcast. Uh, it's where we talk all about marriage every single Wednesday. We try to help young men find a girlfriend, uh, try to try to help him get her to marry him, and then uh, keep her around for as long as possible. So uh, come and check that out if you're a young man or even a married man that uh, wants to learn a little bit more about marriage. And then tune into the uh, Sunday Sunday series where we have guys like Ross and Brock on to talk about their purpose and how they fulfill it. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate you.